0: Or maybe, maybe in Spanish it will work. Uh, Stan listos? There you go. No, that's all. The only two languages I can speak, uh, not correctly, but I can speak them. Well, welcome to City Church. If you just got here, you missed uh, our introduction. It's my third week here, and we are very honored to be here. Thank you for your prayers before I even this morning as you open your hearts to the Lord, and you welcome us. If it's great to be loved, if it's good to be welcomed. And this morning, we're going to keep reading the book of Ephesians that we have been seeing lately. And let me read to you this portion of the third chapter of Ephesians. We're going to see verses 14 14 to 21. I think if you have a Bible with you, it is in page 977, 977, if you're using the Pew Bibles right there. And you can follow me in case you, you don't understand what I'm saying. So please, uh, let's open our hearts to, to hear the word of God this morning. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever and altogether. Amen. How do we pray? How did we learn how to pray? We have, a, if you saw, we have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, and we are teaching them how to pray. The youngest one, she still has really short prayers. Thank you, God, for the food, for the turtle, for mommy and daddy. Sometimes grandpa, nana, whatever toy she was praying with earlier. My older son, he prays a little bit longer. He thanks God for things that maybe happened during the day or the week before. If you became Christian when you were probably in your late teens or in college, maybe, in college maybe you became Christian, became Christian when you were in, I don't know, Campus Crusade, RUF, a college ministry. And I don't know if you noticed, I've done this. Uh, when you are put on the spot and somebody asks you, can you pray? And you are kind of like, I just, I just thank you, God, for being present. And please just fill us with your presence. Okay, I'm not saying that that's a bad prayer, okay? I'm just saying that that's probably a new Christian that have not heard a lot of prayers, publicly. My children, we're teaching them how to pray and live a little. They are improving, they are learning how to pray. And I'm not saying that one prayer is holier than the other one. I'm just saying they are different. How do we learn how to pray? By example. By seeing others, how they pray. And the best examples of prayers are found in Scripture. In Scripture, you can find prayers from David, from Moses, from Jesus himself, and now we're going to see the prayer of Paul towards the churches in Ephesus. But before doing that, I would like to point us back to John 17. We're not going to read the whole passage. You can read it at home. But I just love that prayer. In John 17, you see... a a very intimate conversation between Jesus and the Father, between Jesus and God. And in the first section, Jesus is glorifying God. He's asking to get back the glory that he put aside as he was incarnated and came to be among us. He's getting ready to go back to heaven and be sitting right next to God. After doing that, he prays for the disciples, or for the people that are with him, his followers. He prays that they will be one, that they will be united. And there is a reason for that prayer, so that the world will believe in Christ. And it doesn't end there. He then prays in the last section for us. Yes, for us, for city church. It doesn't say city church, but it says for those who will believe in me in the future. He prays for the churches, for the Christians. He prays that we would enjoy the unity that he has with the Father. He says, I want them to be one, just like you and me. But he doesn't stop there. He even says, I want them to join us. I want them to join us in this unity. Yes, I want them to be one among themselves, but I also want them to be one with us. And the reason for that is this. So that the world may know that you have sent me. That's repeated multiple times. I want them to be one. I want them to be united. So that the world may know that you sent me. And I believe that's the key for what we see in the rest of the New Testament of different churches being diverse. why we see Paul here praying for diversity and unity. It is because Jesus was praying for that. Unity, because he knew we were all different, because he made us, and he knows we need his prayers, because we don't go there by ourselves. Then in Matthew twenty-eight, many of you know it, the Great Commission, right? We use it for missions. We say, "Yeah, go and reach people from all the nations." Yes, uh, in the the word "therefore nation" is. Ethne, where we get our word for ethnicities, different kinds of people. They didn't have the word nation like we have it now, like with all the borders and everything. So I think what the disciples heard was, go and reach people different than you. Okay, I'm not saying that we shouldn't use that for, we shouldn't use that verse for missions. I'm just saying, I think the disciples heard, go and reach different people than you. So we see that Jesus is praying for unity in John 17. We see that Jesus is commanding his people to reach diverse people. And now we see how this develops in the book of Ephesians. Last week, Jason was preaching about what the mystery of the gospel is, which is God reconciling us, but not just us. He's reconciling people with different stories and different backgrounds. That's found in the first section of the third chapter in this book of Ephesians. So all of that we're talking about, reaching others, being a church that is united, we don't do it because it's cool. We don't do it because it's a new agenda of society. Because you hear diversity now everywhere. Well, I guess they are doing what churches haven't been doing for a while. But it's, that is something that is so biblical that we thrive that we pray for when we talk about about this. Now, when we come to this section, this is a prayer. A prayer that Paul has for the churches. So let's go to the first verse. He says, For this reason, for the mystery of the gospel, for all that we have been hearing before, that God is reconciling people from different backgrounds, with different stories. Paul is saying, For this reason, about my knees before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. See, back then the Gentiles, the people that were not Jews, they they were pagans. They had different religions, and they they thought of each other all different. Oh, my group is here, my group is there. So what Paul is doing here, he's coming before the Father, which is the Pater, the Padre. In Greek, does the, the pater is the word for father. And then he's connecting that with people. He says, before the father, pater, from whom every family, patria. You see the pat at the beginning of both? There is a connection there. He's saying, God the father is the father of all the families of the earth. So the Gentiles, the minorities there, they're saying, wait, so I'm the same as that guy? I'm the same as the Jew? Me, Greek, I'm the same as the Roman there. We're all from God. That's what they are hearing. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So they're hearing, so what? So all my religions that I was following before, all those pagan religions, I used to pray for the spirits to protect me. And for, but now you're telling me that God is, owns all of that? What do I say by own? When somebody gave a name, it, it, disple- it showed uh, ownership, authority over the person or the thing that was named. So here he's saying that God is naming all the families on the earth. Not just that, all the families in heaven, even the angels. All of that belongs to God. And for me, that gives me comfort and peace in a place where I sometimes feel different as an outsider. Because I find unity among people that look and sound different than me, knowing that God the Father has named us all, and we are family, we are one in Christ. So that's the beginning of the prayer. And now we're going to keep reading the prayer, and we're going to see how Paul... Devices. Some people divide it into two sections, others in three. I follow the one that I the it in three because it gives me more things to say. <laughs> and I like talking. So we see that Paul is telling the Jews and the Gentiles that they are one family. That they are united. And now... Let me read to you verse 16. It says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened and power, with power through his spirit in your inner being. There is a lot of big words there. I'm going to read the verse one more time. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. We see that the agent here is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So Paul is praying to the Father that the Holy Spirit will empower us. And I think he's doing that because he knows, man, it is hard. It is hard to live among people that are different than you. It is hard. I'm not talking just about races. It could be somebody from the north with somebody from the south. It could be women and men working together. Women have been abused for so long. There is no trust. When you go to a a job and they hire you, you don't think they're going to pay you the same. You want to be mistreated. If they're being too nice to you, do they want something else? Do you have to be nicer to get a promotion? As a minority, sometimes I felt like, do they want me or do they want to have me to show that they are diverse? And that hurts. And people might not mean it, but that's how it feels. Because when you get closer and closer in a relationship, and you start bringing your own ideas, well, yeah, why don't we do that later? Or why don't, yeah, we want, I hate this phrase, but I separate by equal. Yeah, we all believe we are the same. But once you start bringing your music or your accent, or your food. I think we should start another ministry, and you should be among your people. Because you understand each other better. Amen. man, that's hard. So I think that's why Paul is, one of the reasons why Paul is praying for this, is because we need the Holy Spirit to empower us to be with people that sound, and look, and eat, or has left money, or, or have More money than us. Because it is hard and it's not normal. When we are hurt, what's the easiest thing to do? To say, okay, they don't want me, I'll go with my own. That's the easiest. And there is room for that. There is room to be people with those that are just like you. I'm not saying that that's wrong. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I love that phrase from one of my professors in seminary. Don't hear what I'm not saying. There is room to be people that are just like you. You don't want to watch a game with Nats fans when you are rooting for the Astros, right? (laughs) You don't want to do that. There's reasons and good reasons to be people that are among you. But if the reason is because you don't like them or you don't agree with them, Or that you feel, no, this is too awkward and complicated. I think we have to rethink those things. Because I don't find them biblical. God is calling us to be one. And to love each other. And for that, we need the power and the Holy Spirit. That power that Paul is talking about, he already mentioned it in the first chapter of Ephesians, 18 to 20. He's saying that the same power... That resurrected Jesus Christ, he's praying for that power to be in us. The power that resurrected Jesus Christ is within you, Christian. That's what Paul is praying for. Can read that. He says: having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right in the heavenly places. All is praying for that power to be in us, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened in power with power, the power of the resurrection, through his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the agent, in your inner being. Inner being. The inner being, he's talking about who you are, your essence, your heart, your soul, because that's what lasts for eternity, not your body. In 2 Corinthians, Um, first, let me read to you. First Corinthians 4, it might be the second chapter, that happens when you want to add things to the sermon last minute, that is not in your notes, treasures of clay, 2 Corinthians 4, Here talks about Paul talks about us being treasures of clay. He's talking about our bodies passing, and our souls, our hearts, our inner being, lasting forever. We see that here, Paul cares about our hearts, our soul. We see the same when Jesus uh, healed a paralytic. What was the first thing he said? Your sins are forgiven. Right? Because that forgiveness will last for eternity. Yeah, the healing of the body is necessary and good. I'm not asking you not to pray for that. You have to pray for healing. You have to pray for your needs. But what God really cares about, what Jesus, what Paul really cares about, is your heart. Is your soul? When, when once we moved to a house before we had kids, and we were renting, it was a. In the outside the house was large and beautiful. The backyard was enormous. Some of you might like it. I didn't because we had to rake a lot of leaves, a lot of leaves. It took like eight people once to do it in three hours. It was huge. When well, inside, man, the house wasn't in good shape. We went there because we were in, during our time in seminary. It was cheap. We got in a really nice neighborhood, a neighborhood full of doctors, and I was driving a Dutch neon falling apart. But the, rent, the lady was so sweet, our, cheap was, I mean, our rent was so low, it was a very nice deal. But the house was a mess. There was carpet in the room. A carpet that has been there for a, who knows how long, maybe even before the house was made, they put a carpet there. Yes. And the, there was the carpet that was among the rooms. And the people, uh, I think they had cats before. There was cat stuff everywhere. It took time. It took time to make it our own. It took a voice to make it our own. We started taking the carpet out, well, with her permission, of course. We took the carpet out, and we did a lot of cleaning, and it started feeling like home. It just started feeling like us. Our prints were in the house. We have never bought a house. I think once we buy a house, you can even make it more your own. Some of you might own, some of you might rent. But we will decorate that place because it's ours. Let me read to you the next verse. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have a strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ. I think what Paul here means by, dwell, by dwelling is like to reside, to, to live there to dwell, to own. See, we were worse than that house, not my wife and I, us as Christians. We are filthy. Yes, we become Christians, God owns us, he owns the house, but man, the house is still a a mess. It's still a mess. So what Paul is saying, that Christ wants to dwell in us, he's praying for God to live in us, so he can take the carpet out so he can decorate us. He can clean us. That's what Paul is talking about here. He was Christ to live in us, in our inner being, to shape us, to become more like him. And that happens through faith. Here he's talking to people that are already saved because it might sound that like he's talking to non-Christians, right? Now, he's talking to Christians. We have seen that already in the previous chapters, in the previous verses. He's talking to Christians, but still, we need to let God, we need to, not let, we need to be in communion with Christ so he can reside in our hearts so he starts taking ownership of our lives so that we can become more like him. That's what Christ wants to do in us. He wants to change us that being rooted and grounded in love. What kind of love is he talking about? If we go back to to chapter 1, 4 and 5, it says, Even as he shows us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Chapter 2, Verses four and five. It says, "But God, being rich in mercy, because of that great love, again, again, talking about the love of God, because of that great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. And that is the love of God. That even though we were dead, even though." Our rooms were full of filthy carpet. God still said, I want to live there. I want you to be mine. And I want you to decorate you beautifully. Make you my own. You were dead in your sin. We use that word a lot of times, but what that really means is missing the mark. In the original language. And I think we all miss the mark. That's what sin means. Yeah, it is doing bad things. But it's more than that. It's not even doing what you're supposed to be doing. It's missing the mark. And we all have missed the mark. And Christ didn't. And he loved us so much that when we were dead, he made us alive in him on the cross believe that what Paul is saying here, saying you are being rooted and grounded in love. And he's doing that, again, so that we may have strength to comprehend, to understand, to know with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. We need to be empowered by God to do this, to do what Jason mentioned earlier, to do what Paul is doing, to do what Jesus is praying for. We need to be empowered by God, because by ourselves we can't. And we need to be in community. Here Paul is talking to the churches, to all the saints. Many times we hear people saying, yeah, I have a relationship with God, but I don't go to church. I know God, and that's enough. You might. You might be Christian. You might not go to church, but you might be scrawny in your Christianity. Because you're not being nourished and equipped as you should. God is calling us to live in community with all the saints. And that's only when we get to experience the breath The length, the height, and the depth of the love of Christ. That's how we get to know Christ better. By living among Christians, by equipping each other, by hearing his word, by participating of the sacraments. Paul wants us to know Christ. I've known my wife for more than 15 years. I said... No, not married with. I know how long we have been married. We're going to be married 13 years in December. (laughs) Okay? I've known her more than that. 15? 15. And I still get to know her more and more every day. She knows me a lot more than I know her. But she still gets to know me more and more on how broken I am. We never stop knowing Christ. We never stop understanding his love. Whether you became a Christian, yesterday you have been a Christian your whole life, or you have a master's and a PhD in theology. You never stop knowing God, because you get to know him through his word, yes, through the sacraments, but also through people. Through the church and the community, of the saints. Because each one of us. Has something of God. No matter what culture you have. No matter. What your story is. We're all different. That's why God rejoices. In having different peoples. Because one group of people alone. Doesn't have everything from God. So we need each other. When we are together. We reflect more. More the beauty of God. That's what Paul is praying for. He's praying for us to be empowered in the Holy Spirit to do this, that we cannot do it by our own, and for a different reason that the world does it. He wants us to be united. He wants God to empower us, to dwell in us, to give us life. He wants us to experience he wants us to experience this in community. The second part of verse 19. There, Paul is praying for us to be filled with all the fullness of God. In Ephesians 4, I'm going to read 11 to 13. I hope I don't spoil your sermon. So I'll keep it short. Uh, let me read this to you. It says And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. To equip the saints for the, minist- for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So I believe what? The church contains the fullness of Christ when we all come to church and give our gifts and participate and are living among each other, we get to experience the fullness of Christ. I think that's what he's praying for, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is Christ. And how do we experience it? Living among the saints. And like I said, Paul knows this is hard. It is hard for introverts to be among extroverts. And it is hard for extroverts to be among introverts. It is hard for some people to understand accents and to give up right away. It is. I don't understand you. What are you saying? It is hard for the other person because then you shy away and you say, I don't belong here. They don't get me. It's hard for the educated and uneducated to be on the same table having a meal. I used to live in D.C. And you had a person that was in charge of Air Force One. And you had a person mowing the grass in his job, sharing a meal on the same table. Sometimes one says, I don't understand you. I love him, but I don't know what he's saying. Maybe I should go somewhere else. It's hard for the American to be among foreigners because they eat different food that's too spicy or it smells different or weird. It's hard for blacks and whites to live together, especially with the history of this country. It's hard for Hispanics, too. The fact that I'm Hispanic doesn't mean that I get everything. I didn't eat tacos until I moved to the States. I love tacos. Okay, feed me tacos. But I didn't know what tacos were until I came here. But people assume that we know South America's with Central Americans. My friend from Central America said if you go uh, to hire a day worker and they're from Central America and they notice your accent, they will want to work with you because you guys take care of advantage of us. You rip us off. This is hard. This work is hard. But it's what we ought to do. And for that, we, the elders of this church, pray for you. So that the Lord will empower you with the Holy Spirit to be one. It's what Jesus is sitting right next to God right now, praying for us. For the unity of his church. It is hard. But it's not impossible if we have the power of the resurrection in our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I Pray that my brothers and sisters sitting here this morning that you they will remember how much you love them. That they not they will not remember the illustrations about the tacos and other things. That's meaningless. I pray that they will remember how much you love them. So you love them so much that you get them alive in Christ. And for those that are here that have heard your word. I'm encouraged because I know some of you will come to know you because your word doesn't come back empty, Lord, and your sheep recognize your voice. So I thank you for that. Pray all of this, Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen.